Hello and welcome to Unheard TV. This is our debut attempt to try and use uh, from home technology to get a conversation going during the lockdown era. Um, we hope to talk about what we should make of it and what sort of world we'll be left with after it's all over. So we're going to be talking to our editors and contributors over coming weeks. And to kick us off, I am delighted that we are joined by Ian Vero, a columnist and foreign correspondent who has reported from more than 60 countries over his time and wrote a great piece for us this morning on Unheard about China. Hi, Ian. Hi, Freddie. How are you? Very well, and thanks for bearing with us during our early tech. Um, so let's, let's just dive straight in. I mean, I think a lot of people wonder what to make of the China connection to this. Um, you know, famously, Donald Trump has started calling it the Chinese virus. Um, the politics are bubbling already to the surface. Um, what you talked us through in your piece, which I thought was so um, interesting, is really the kind of step-by-step -step genesis of this bug. Um, tell us a little bit about these the, the, the origins of this virus as you've discovered it. Sure. Well, I mean, the thing I was interested in is seeing this rally break out was to try and discover how much can blame or should blame be apportioned to China for this particular virus. And when you look back, certainly there is some degree of culpability without any doubt. At the very start, it appears, we don't know for sure, but it appears to have emerged from one of their wild markets. You get this mixture of domesticated animals like and farmyard animals like chickens and ducks and things like that being sold along all sorts of other wild animals. And all the cages are stacked up together and you have a lot of, it's very unhygienic uh, selling meat, basically. Often they're killed in front of you, and I spoke to people who have been to these markets, and you can buy your civet or whatever, and it's chopped up in front of you. Wolf pups? Apparently you mentioned wolf pups as available. There was a menu circulated on the internet, which of course is unconfirmed, but it had a whole variety of things you could buy there, which the most um, uh, extreme and unsettling, I guess, is wolf pups. Um, but in a way, the more interesting one is civets, which is a, a sort of cat-like creature, because the SARS outbreak, which broke out in China in 2002, came from civets being sold in these markets. And they somehow picked up in a, a, this infection from bats, from horseshoe bats, and then it emerged out there. A guy was treated in hospital, gave it to all the medical staff, and medical staff then went off. One of them went to a wedding in Hong Kong, and that's how SARS broke out. No, we know that because that disease also started in one of these wet markets. It starts in one of these markets, but also it's a very similar uh, type of virus to this one, uh, which started a pandemic, the first real sort of similar pandemic of this century. And it was traced back and people know what started. And China then, their reaction was to kill off lots of the civets and close down a lot of these markets. But obviously they opened up again. And so the first point, the black mark against China, is the existence of these markets, which are un pretty unregulated, very unhygienic, and a breeding ground, really, for diseases to emerge from. So this is, and this is where it gets political very quickly, because, you know, it's, it sort of fuels an idea that they are, you know, uncivilized or unwesternized or unhygienic. You know, do you think it's fair enough to, you know, to, to, to raise questions about the kind of hygiene issues, you know, is it racist? Is it wrong to be 
judgmental of the you know, countries like China and their kind of apparently backward habits like this. I think it would be racist to say that it's backward to eat certain types of produce because, you know, every culture eats foodstuffs and meats, which other cultures think is a bit weird. Um, uh, speaking of someone who comes from Scotland and where, you know, a lot of the diet up there is pretty questionable. Mm. Um, but what there is an issue and a valid issue is that it's, these are known to be breeding grounds for disease and there is a hygiene issue and a regulation issue. And that's where it shouldn't be a point. It shouldn't be a, a thing. Obviously, China is not a backward country. It's, you know, it's, it was at times in history been way ahead of the West. Um, it's a very great country full of amazing people. But there are issues here about hygiene and it's a very autocratic system and the state should have taken action to make these markets more sanitary and that's where they failed. Yeah, so great. So let's go on to that. So that's the kind of second back mark really, isn't it? That uh, the initial response was underpowered or it was covered up in some way. What have you found out? Well, this is where it gets really damning. Uh, because the virus appears to have broken out probably in some time in November. It was certainly last year. It was certainly being detected by the middle of December when doctors were seeing this strange pneumonia type uh, virus. Uh, they compared it to SARS, the previous one that they were familiar with, and they reasoned about it. Uh, in fact, on December the 31st, China even notified the World Health Organization that this was out and about. However, they then quashed any uh, idea that this was human-to-human -human transmission, even though they knew about it. They arrested eight doctors who were just trying to protect people and say to their students or to other people, wash your hands, take care, this virus is out there. And they essentially, uh, for several weeks, we don't know exactly how long, they carry on mingling. There was even this huge party for 40,000 people held in Wuhan, the state where the, the city where this was breaking out. So this is kind of classic, you know, those of us who watched Chernobyl, uh, the documentary, you know, it's a classic kind of communist instinct to kind of hush up and control the information flow. Um, and it seems like that's kind of wrestling with this, this other instinct, which is to kind of, you know, notify international organizations and share information. Do you, do you get the sense that there's a kind of tussle between two sort of instincts of this regime? I think the Chernobyl uh, uh, comparison is very valid because talking to some of the analysts and experts, what they'll say is you have a system which has got more intense under the current president, who's a more repressive character than his predecessors. And um, people are basically scared to take decisions, just like with Chernobyl. So if you're an official, you don't want to be blamed for shutting down your city and crashing the economy, because if you wipe out the epidemic as it's bubbling up, no one would ever know, and you'll be held responsible, and you'll be you'll be the person who ruined the state or the city's economy. Therefore, every level, people are scared to take decisions, and mm -hmm. a lot of people think that's what was going on. So people, rather than confront this problem and deal with it and have, impose um, measures to, to dampen it and to, to stifle it, they actually just let it run rampage for fear, really fear of their bosses. And that's very similar to Chernobyl, where we had that culture where people were scared to take decisions because of this very autocratic top-down system. So are we, um, I mean, now that we have apparently got to the other side of this, um, the, the, the pandemic, the epidemic curve within China, and we're being told most recently that there are no new cases within the um, Wuhan province, do you think we can believe that? 
I mean, given what we now know about the early response, why should we believe anything they say about, you know, the, the virus dying down now? It's a fair question. The epidemiologists I spoke to said that they believe probably that uh, the data they cut is opaque, they say. You can't completely trust it. However, they think they would know if there was another major epidemic anywhere else in China. So there may be cases, the numbers may have been distorted because we've seen in the past with this that they have been uh, but probably there's not another major epidemic. But the issue is that this disease is out as far as the virus is going around the world. In fact, travel bans are probably pointless because the virus is out there. So what we're seeing in the West is trying to do what Wuhan did, which is to break chains of transmission and enable the health service to deal with it. And um, now they're beginning to loosen those, those, uh, those controls and let people back out. But of course, as soon as people start moving around and the virus is out in the rest of the world, the virus is going to come back into China. Mm. So, uh, I think what I would say in conclusion to China is they were guilty in terms of allowing this breeding ground to fester when they knew and there was a past, in, past examples of it. They were very guilty in the early weeks when it could be controlled. It's possibly it could have been stopped. Um, we will never know, of course, for sure, one way or the other. They then, in a, in a strong way, uh, once they start to grapple with it, it's perhaps a little more vigorous than a democracy might approach. I don't think we'd want people into their homes and such like, mm. but um, nor would we all marry couples to stay apart from their beds, which happened in Wuhan. But they have dealt with it and they've broken these chains of transmission. But again, this, this Putin-esque propaganda going on, and this, this, you've got a, a from office who's suggesting it might have been started deliberately by the US military, mm. who's retweeting uh, conspiracy theories about this, these haven't been in America last year, etc., etc. So now you're seeing a very murky game going on where you've got these presidents under pressure, mm. and you have had a backlash from his own people over their behavior, trying to shift the blame to other people, and at the same time proclaim themselves as the heroes of this, and probably first mover advantage because they're out of the woods at the moment their businesses can start operating while ours are all closed down yeah so they have a competitive advantage as well suddenly which they can exploit so in america you've got the u.s government who's handled it in a terrible way uh and he's under pressure as well so he's trying to divert attention in a typical trump style way of generating over something mm. to take attention away so if we zoom out a bit and look at the kind of bigger picture. I mean, you're, you're a liberal. I think you would uh, sign up to that moniker. You have uh, citizen of the world in your uh, Twitter profile. You know, how does this make you feel about um, China and how it fits into the world community? You know, do you feel that we were all naive in retrospect to uh, believe that China would kind of come on board and liberalize in all the ways that we imagined if they were let into the system and and do you think that it's time to now draw back um and think about being more self-sufficient think about relying less on them how has it left you and your kind of world view well there's a huge amount i really admire about china and the way they lifted people out of poverty um a lot of the stuff they do I see, which a lot of people dislike um i actually think it's quite admirable a lot of their approach to, to africa and elsewhere so I wouldn't want to damn the whole country. However, 
uh, and also just it has been there has been false belief that I think a lot of people had in the 90s and turn of the century that China would gradually be sucked into a more democratic system as it engaged more and became more broad and interlinked with the world. Yeah, which didn't happen. Which didn't happen. In fact, what we've seen since 2014 under this current president is a more repressive system. And uh, when you see what they're doing to some of the minorities, and I've done a lot of work on this, uh, it's absolutely barbaric. You know, possibly one million, two million, three million Muslim minorities in the west of the country who are hideous uh, surveillance, lockdown in camps, etc. So, but what, but Ian, what do you want to see? I mean, do you want us? How, what's the correct political response to all of this? You know, I, should we be pulling back? Should we be less interdependent? I think we have to be very wary. This is a state which is emerging as a superpower, um, uh, and it is a totalitarian state. And I think we should always have human rights at the forefront of our um, approach to countries. At the same time, we do need to engage with China. Personally, I think, for instance, the idea that it has a, a link to our telephone system is insane. It's bonkers to allow things like that. Mm. Um, equally, should a company have a manufacturing plant in China, I don't have a problem with that. I think we have to be very wary of the Communist Party of leadership of the system while at the same time still trying to engage, and I think change will eventually come in China. I have faith still that democracy and freedom is something which uh, many people aspire to uh, in China just as much as other parts of the world. And so do you, is your, is your so, sorry, could I just, if, if, let's, if we could finish off with your sort of prediction, as it were, big picture, you know, once the, the mist's clear and this crisis is behind us, what do you think will happen in relation to Europe and America's dealings with China? Do you, what, 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 do you, what do you predict? You mean in regard to this particular crisis or other? No, I mean the more general repercussions, really. You know, do you well, think we'll see big changes? Clearly, this is going to have huge changes. I have no doubt about that. If the economy is really ripped, a lot of people are going to look for scapegoats, and that's a dangerous situation always. Um, and this is happening at a time when America is slightly fading as a superpower and China is on the rise and there's clearly a tussle going on. So um, I think it has to be seen as part of that in the fact that you've got a declining superpower uh, up against uh, an emerging superpower. Mm. Uh, the question none of us really know. I think we're all understanding that what we're seeing with the virus now is a symbol of something is going to have big repercussions. But it's impossible really to see at this stage. I don't believe it's going to end globalization, but it may make some firms think a little bit more about the the length of their um, their chains of, of supply and such like. Mm -hmm. It will have implications, I suspect, um, in other in other areas, but it's very hard to see where that will be at the moment. Okay, Ian. Okay, well, we thank you very much then for for your thoughts today. You've invited us into your living room from one uh, lockdown person to the next. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely be talking again soon and sorry for technical hiccups as they inevitably happen. That's a pleasure. Stay safe, stay safe. All right. Thanks, Bye -bye. Ian.